0: Hey friends, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to personally welcome you to our podcast. At TC, we exist to see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Good morning, Transformation Church. How's everybody doing today? Good? Come on. That's what I'm talking about. We are excited to be back in our series, Sushi, Sex, and Subtitles. and So we want to go ahead and get started with exactly what we have today. And because uh, we're talking a little bit about sex. So let's go ahead and just say it, sex. Let's just go ahead and get it out of the way, right? Because this may be one of the most uncomfortable sermons you've ever sat in. If sex makes you uncomfortable, all right? That, all right there's going to be a lot of phrases I'm going to have to like back away from. But anyway, so, but sushi, sex, and subtitles. What I believe in the church we've done is I believe we haven't had enough of the right conversations about sex. And because we haven't had enough of the right conversations about it, and we haven't heard enough preaching about how God sees it and what it's for and all of those things, because we haven't done that, we've created uh, people, generations, and particularly single people who don't understand what it's for and how God created it. And so uh, we just kind of want to jump into talking about that a little bit today. Because first of all, sex kind of falls into some categories that I believe we've unintentionally put it into. And the first one is diminished sex, diminished sex, and what I mean by that is many of us grew up in environments where sex was just ignored completely, right? Like you, you want to ha- like as a young person, maybe uh, they want to have a conversation about it, and they're like, "Dad, I have a question about sex," and Dad's like, "Nope, nope, n- no, nope, go talk to mom," right? And so we have these places where sex just wasn't talked about. So we have an entire generation that learned what sex is from the public school system and not Christian parents. Or we have this other category where we grew up in environments where sex was disgusting. So it's like sex is disgusting, evil, terrible. So save it for the one you love. Right? Also not helpful. I have a friend of mine uh, who grew up in the church. uh, So he and his wife, uh, well, he and his fiance, they saved themselves for marriage. They did not have sex before marriage. They both married as virgins. uh, And they were constantly just had this idea pounded into their brain where it's like, hey, listen, sex is terrible. You should never have it. Don't ever even think about it. If you do, God is looking down on you. It's just a terrible thing. You should be ashamed of yourself if you even consider having sex. Like they were constantly brought these ideas so uh, he and his fiance get married and for the first six months of their marriage every time they tried to have sex his wife would have a complete meltdown and she was so consumed in shame because she had been so taught that sex was evil and terrible that six months into their marriage they finally had enough and after nine months they were divorced and i thought to myself how terrible is that that as a, as churches in america the thing that we're trying to tell our young people not to do, which we should be encouraging them, not just not to do it, but to wait till the right time to do it. But we've gotten away from that in, in an attempt. And, and how many of you have kids? got Anybody here got kids? How many of you did it work to tell them not to do something and they just didn't do it? Right. So we all see the fault in that playing out of the gate. Right. So what we have to do is start talking about what God actually looks at and what he says about sex. Then we have unrealistic sex, unrealistic sex. Say unrealistic. So then we have unrealistic sex. And this is like on the other side of uh, what we talk about with diminished sex. So we have one side that says that uh, sex is evil, no one should have it, et cetera. And then on the other side, we've actually built up this idea. And the church and Christians have bought into this lie that sex is the grand apex. It's the Mount Everest of apex in relationships that if you can have great sex, then everything else gets better. And I'm here to tell you today that that is also not true. Uh, As a matter of fact, if great sex is the apex of relationships, we have bought into the lie that the world believes, and we're trying, many times churches and Christians have bought into a lie that the world believes that great sex creates great relationships, and that is very unrealistic. And then there's uh, this idea that when we have... Sex outside of marriage, so outside of the biblical guidelines for what God has created sex for, it actually brings in some very difficult and tough things into our life. And so uh, when we're searching for the beauty, say beauty. When we're searching for the beauty in sex itself, outside of what God has designed it for, uh, we've actually found ourselves in a place of lacking fulfillment, lacking true intimacy, and emotional disconnection. When we step into sexual relationships outside of marriage, it creates more harm than good. And it actually leaves us with three things. The first one is it leaves us disappointed, right? Because here's what happens. Every time God gives us a good gift, and we're going to interact a little bit today, say good gift. Every time God gives us a good gift, the intention behind that gift is that we would delight in the giver of the gift, not in the gift itself. So everything that says sex is good should cause us to thank God more for how good sex is. And our spouse. So, uh, Outside of that, it leaves us disappointed. Next, it leaves us damaged. Because what happens is when we step into sex outside of marriage, it inevitably brings us to a place where we are damaging parts of ourself because we're looking for something we should never have in someone else. And oftentimes we are looking for the fulfillment that God himself is actually only supposed to be in our life. Many of us would admit that when we had sex outside of marriage, when we went pursuing sexual relationships that we shouldn't have been in, we were looking for something that that person actually never could give us. And so it actually creates a damage that now we have to come back and fix later. And many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but many of you would agree that you have had sexual relationships with people that damaged you so much that it still has you jacked up. And what God actually wants to do is, number one, he wants to stop you from getting into that. If you've been into that, then he wants to help heal what's in you that has been damaged. And I'm here to tell you today, this message isn't all about don't, don't, don't. This message is all about hope, hope, hope. And so we're gonna talk through that. And then lastly, it leaves us disconnected. It leaves us disconnected from God and from God's people. And it's not not because God pulled away and it's not because God's people pulled away. It's because when we step into that, and we start to feel the areas of shame that we know we shouldn't have on us, we disconnect from people, don't we? And so God actually wants to restore that. Then there's secularized sex. where we have taken a secular approach to what sex is, right? And I believe that Matt Chandler says it best in this quote where he says this, By and large, our culture's view of sex is divorced from any true relationship. You read about and think about these hookup apps, things like Tinder and Bumble. What are they? They are the ability to connect physically without any kind of relationship. It is divorced from affection. It is divorced from commitment and natural boundary lines by which humanity flourishes and is not harmed. Yet we have removed all of that. And so what we've actually done is we've actually gone in and treated it like it's strictly a physical experience. We have, we have, if we've bought into the idea of secularized sex, we've bought into this idea that it's strictly a physical act and it has no emotional or spiritual consequences when we do it. And that's actually not what God says. Matter of fact, we treat it as if it should give us the same pleasure as a good restaurant or a carnival. Like that it's like, ooh, ah, great, all right, moving on. But we don't realize that we don't ever actually move on. We stay connected to that person forever unless God intervenes in our life. Matter of fact, there is an article in the 2017 USA Today uh, where uh, Mary Bowerman says, uh, she wrote in this article called Sleeping Together Before a First Date is Okay, But Cracked Phones Are a Turnoff. And she says this about millennials. Research shows... That millennials, and sorry millennials, like I, I am one, so but I think we blew it on this. Okay, so research shows that millennials believe it is more intimate to go on a first date than it is to have sex. So essentially millennials are like, sex? Absolutely. Talk about my feelings and how I grew up and get intimate in that way? Not interested. Right? So we step into this place where uh, secularized sex brings us to a place where we treat it as just a physical act in our era, but we don't realize it actually has emotional and spiritual connections. We rob it of the actual beauty that God gave it. And so God wants to bring that back. And my goal today is just to hopefully bring some enlightenment into your life uh, about how these things can go. And so, uh, man, I want to start off by saying that this message is not meant to judge anyone in here. Um, If you are single and you have uh, had sex before marriage, this message is not beating you up. I want you to know that. Uh, For the Bible says that all of us have sinned. We've all been in places we shouldn't have been. I wish that my life was perfect up until now, but I got some jacked up stuff in my past. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like if someone opened my closet, all kinds of skeletons are falling out that bad boy. So we are not here to judge you, but we do believe it is our responsibility to teach and to show us what God designed things for. And I pray that it helps you today, because today I want to talk to you uh, about what good, biblical, godly, pure, pleasurable sex looks like. All right. And so uh, as uncomfortable as we can make this sermon, that's my goal. Okay, so uh, so say sex. All right, hopefully we're moving beyond the uncomfortability. So, what are we talking about today? Glorifying sex. <laughs> Glory! Anyway, so, uh, so here's what I want you to know about sex. God did it. Not, like, God created it. That was probably not the best term to start this off with. God created it. Listen to me. Sex is God's idea. Sex is not a man-made thing. Listen, the devil didn't sneak in and like, come up with some special tactic like, I know how we're going to deceive all of humanity. We're going to give them sex and it's going to tear them apart. Like, that w- this was not something the enemy snuck in and introduced into the cosmos and the world. And now it's like completely messed up everybody. Sex is something God created and he created a good thing. Good thing. So, where does it start? Like, where, does, where do we start to get this uh, uh, the sex uh, as an introduction in the Bible? Genesis 1, where God created Adam and Eve. And then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. You know what he was saying there, right? bounch wow wow right? So, like, okay. He's saying, Adam, do your thing, homie. That's the Brad Livingston version of the Bible. I don't know if it's in print yet. So be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Hear me. Sex wasn't some wicked plan built in the pits of hell to be the demise of all mankind because of how much we love and delight in it. No. In fact, hear me. In fact, sex was something beautiful designed by God so that as we would encounter and enjoy sex with our spouse in marriage, because that's the confines he built in. We'll talk about that in a second. As we would enjoy that, we would delight in God all the more. I'll put it to you this way. Reproduction. If all sex was for was reproduction, which that is the command that he's given us to produce, right? To multiply. That doesn't have to be enjoyable, good, or something that we love. But God in his goodness made it something enjoyable, good, and something that we would love. And he did that so that we would delight in God more whenever we experience that. We would say, thank you, God, for how good that is. And this people was like, this is the most uncomfortable sermon I've ever sat in in my life. But we are supposed to delight in God when we delight in our spouse. And so he steps in and he gives us that. And so here's what I want you to understand. Sex isn't bad. It's just built to exist within a certain parameter. Sex isn't bad. It isn't evil. It's just supposed to exist within a certain parameter. And so uh, the, I, the way I can best communicate this to you is uh, I want you to imagine yourself behind a fence. You're in a, uh, in a field. You're behind a fence and behind the fence is where God has said, you, you need to stay here until you get married. And so you can look over the fence and you can see all of the things out there. You can see, uh, and so uh, outside of the fence is sex and the good things that God has has for you out there. But the only thing that you can do to get to it is God has to open the gate, which is marriage, so that you can now step into a sexual relationship in a biblical way. And so you're behind the fence. When you get married, the gate opens. You can now go into the field and you can have sex and you can wander around and you can have it as much as your spouse will entertain that idea. Okay? But with that said, here's what I want you to understand. is Can you hop that fence without the gate getting open? Yes. But when you do that, here's what happens. You hop the fence And you go looking for sex, but what stays behind the fence is the presence of God, the promises of God, the blessings of God, the calling of God, the anointing of God, the movement of God, and everything that he has for you, it's staying back here. When you go after sex without the gate getting open, you don't get to bring God's things with you. That's why many of us, when we hopped the fence to go after a relationship we weren't ready for, felt like we got disconnected from God. And God says, if you'll wait for the gate to get open, now you get to bring everything that I'm trying to give you with you into this relationship to flourish. But, A lot of times in the church, we don't communicate it that way. Matter of fact, uh, I've had different people say that they treat sex, uh, or sex has been communicated to them like they're on the edge of a cliff about to fall off, and down in the pit below the cliff is destruction, death, and sex. It's like, well, that's really dark. Like, that's not helpful at all. The reality is, no, sex is built to help us flirt. We should enjoy those things. God gave us those things. We should just enjoy those things When the door is open, how does that happen? Marriage. So I'm gonna go ahead and say this. I hate communicating things like this. Um, A lot of times, before all of my staff has heard it, we've been communicating it. But we're actually in August, um, in August, depending on some of the things that are lining up, we plan to have a wedding. And so, as a church, here's what we're doing we're paying for a venue and we're paying for a photographer. On a Saturday, for any couple that's in our church that wants to have a professional photographer and a venue, and our staff is going to be ready to host a wedding, for any couples in our church right now that are living together or are engaged but have just been waiting and they say, you know what, we want to take the step for the biblical blessings, promises, and presence of God to go with us into our relationships. We're going to pay for the venue. We're going to pay for the photographer. All you got to do is get you a dress, a tux, and show up, and we'll lead you into that space where now you get to enjoy the. The blessings and the promises of God. And so we, we want you to know, we want to do that. We're not here to just give you direction and say, like, y'all figure it out. We want to help you take the step. But hear me, if you'll take those steps, you get to move forward in how God designed sex to be. And so where do we see how this got messed up? Like, where does that happen? At? It happens in Genesis 2 verses 16 and 17. Actually, it's kind of where it starts. So the Lord God commanded the man You're free to eat from any tree. Say any tree. He says you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God says you can have all of this. You just can't have this. What do we want? The thing we can't have. Right? And so Uh, Genesis 2.25, he says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Why did they feel no shame? Because there was no sin. They didn't even know they weren't supposed to be naked. So as long as they were inside the parameters God built, they were free of shame. Hear me today. For many of you, you're stepping into places you shouldn't be in and that's why you feel far from God. But God said, I can bring you back to closeness with me. Just close the gate. And come back where I'm at. And when the time is right for you to open it, then we'll go together where you can experience both the presence of God and the promises of God. So when they took something that wasn't theirs, uh, shame consumed them. And so we jump to Genesis 3, verses 10 through 11. And so Adam's hiding from God. And he tells God, God Adam, or God calls out to Adam. And he says, I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? In other words, he's saying like, how did you know you had the thing you weren't supposed to have? And God knew that he had stepped into a place he wasn't supposed to be because he knew things he wasn't supposed to know. Hear me. When shame enters your life, you and God both know you've stepped into a space you weren't supposed to be in. So God says, how do you know that's not good? Why are you hiding your nakedness? Because it's something I permitted. Like God just said, hey, listen, y'all could just walk around naked. Y'all could just do whatever you want. Whatever you want. Right? Like whatever. But here's what happens when we step into sin, right? We got this graphic. I want to show it to you. What happens when we step into sin is what does our sin do? How How many of you, when you were in a sinful state of your life, you knew it and no one had to point it out to you? Like you're like, oh yeah, I know I'm not supposed to be doing that. I just don't care. Right? But what does sin do? Sin eventually leads us to shame. And so in our shame, we cower away. We pull away. We, and then in our shame, we develop Secrets. And so we have things that we don't want to tell anyone. We don't want to show anyone. We don't want to introduce anyone. And those secrets lead us to solitude where because we have secrets and shame, we don't want to be around God. We don't want to be around God's people. And so we isolate ourselves. And so we step into this space where we don't want anyone close to us because we want to keep our secret, our shame. We want to keep that to ourselves. We want to keep all of this to ourselves. So we create this. But in turn, we distance ourselves from God and God's people. And what does that do? It leads us to more of this. What does that do? It leads us to more of this, which leads us to more, y'all picking up what I'm throwing down? We step into this circle, this revolving door of sin, shame, secrets, solitude, which leads to more sin, then more shame. And what God is coming in, he's trying to say, listen, if you'll let me close the gate, I can wipe all of this away. God wants to step into that space where he starts to fix the broken things in our life. Because, listen to me, Sex is a good thing, and a good thing is the right thing. But the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. The right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. See, we step into this idea that our life, all of this enjoyment you can have, but It just needs to wait until marriage. So sex is a good thing. And once you get married, have at it. But until you're there, man, I encourage you to practice the biblical model of relationships that says that sex should wait for that. And so that's why we want to come in and say, as a church, we want to help. If those of you are ready to get married, if it's a money thing, we'll help you with that. If it's a location thing, we'll help you with that. And listen, if you want to have your, like, baller wedding for a hundred thousand dollars somewhere do this so that you can get the gate open and then go have your big expensive wedding whenever you want to if you're ready to take that step relationally do that so we can get you moving and the way that god has designed it don't listen don't just get married to have sex i'm not promoting that whatsoever okay that not what I'm doing. Okay. So, and we have a pre-marriage course and we'll take you through the whole thing. You contact our office for all the details, but here's what I want you to understand. How many guys have ever had kids before? Got kids. How many of you either have kids or you know kids well enough that you've seen them interact on a certain level? Anybody like everyone? Yes. Perfect. Okay. So here's what I believe many of us do with uh, the gifts that God gives us. How many have ever interacted with kids or you remember when you were younger and you took everything your parents did for you for granted? Like how many of you guys like got older, went to college or got a house and were like, wait, someone pays for electricity, right? Like we all remember that moment, right? Like people were like, whoa, 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 food doesn't just show up in my pantry. Right? Like, I, I thought this thing, I, thought, like I don't know what we thought as kids. Like, elves were, like, flying in and dropping cookies on our thing. I don't know what we thought. But how many of you remember taking for granted all the things your parents did for you? Like, I never once came home from school one day and was like, Dad, I just want to say thank you that the lights are on today. Like, that day never happened. I took for granted something that somebody gave me and never acknowledged what it was. And for many of us, that's what our approach to sex looks like when it comes to God. God gave us this good thing, this great gift, this blessing, and he didn't have to make it enjoyable, but he did, right? He didn't have to make us attracted to the opposite sex, but he did. So he gives us all of these things. He lines it up, designs it, and then makes it good. And we in turn, step into that type of relationship without any comprehension of the fact that God gave us a good thing. And what I'm encouraging you to do today is what I'm trying to do is make sure that for you, sex is not just an action, but it's something that God has designed specifically for us in marriage. A good thing. So we actually take a Psalms 37.4 approach to this where he says, delight yourself also in sex. Is that what it says? No. Desi- delight yourself also in the sheets of someone else. It's not what it says. It says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So we should not be looking for fulfillment of our desires of everything. In we shouldn't be looking for that fulfillment in people or in sex. We should be looking for that fulfillment in God himself. And here's one thing I wanted to make sure that you understood because when we start pursuing sex in people, when we we start pursuing the fulfillment of a person, we end up tying ourselves to people who are unhealthy for us. And when you have sex with someone, you need to understand that you are now unified with their spirit. See, many of you are trying to go through your life and you have picked up spirits. See, God said when a man and a woman become one, in other words, when they have sex, they become one. That means that you now take on the spirit of the person you've been with. And for some of you, You can't figure out where you picked up your anxiety, your depression, your poor convictions, your lack of godliness, your your lack of hope, your joylessness. And it's connected to people that you shared the bed with you were never supposed to be with. And what happens is it's not just a physical act. Many of you, and I mean this compassionately, many of you are still still dealing with things today today of spirits that are attached to your life. And I'm not trying to be super spooky or like weird. I'm trying to say a spiritual connection has set into your life from someone that you have been with sexually. And if you go back and you look at seasons of your life where things started to trigger and happen, you can point and connect it to people that struggled with that before you slept together. The good news is that God can break that. That when God steps on the scene, all these spiritual connections that we've made, these ties that we've made spiritually, God can come in and separate those. And I want to encourage any of you that you feel like you're dealing with this. Maybe you're dealing with the shame or the secrets or the sin or the solitude. Maybe you haven't been figured out how to break these spiritual connections that are so evident in your life that you can see that, man, I, I never realized that I was with this person and they dealt with this and now I deal with it ever since we've been together. Any of you that are in that space, I want you to know that uh, when the next small group season kicks off, we have groups called Freedom Groups. And in those freedom groups, we want to take you on a journey where God delivers and breaks the chains that have been holding you down for so long. And it's a 12-week curriculum, and it's not one of these weird things where like we take you in the back room and like lather you up with Crisco or whatever. Like that's, it's, it's not anything like that, all right? Uh, but it is a 12 a week journey with a conference at the end where we say, we want you to be the whole free person that God destined you to be. And although we've all made some mistakes back here, God has a free life that he's ready to give you today. And so we wanna bring you to that place. But 1 Corinthians 10, Paul starts talking to the church here, particularly the church in Corinth. But Paul comes on the thing and he starts talking in 1 Corinthians 10, and he actually tries to give us a bit of a warning against what happens when we just kind of blindly follow the things we want rather than wanting what God wants for us. And he comes in and he says, I don't want to forget. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness. And, and when he's saying brothers and sisters, he's not like trying to talk slang. He's not saying like homies, it's like brothers. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about like fellow Christians. So he's talking to us. I don't want you to forget, brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness, talking about the Israelites. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. All of them walked through the sea on dry dry ground. Yet God was not pleased with most of them. And, And what he's saying there is, What's crazy is that God blessed them. He performed miracles for them. He came through for them. And despite the fact that he blessed them, gave them miracles, looked out for them, fed them when they were hungry, despite the fact that he did all of them, he still wasn't pleased with them. And I think that what we could run into in our life is we could fall into the trap where we say, man, God is blessing me, he's taking care of me. So it doesn't matter if I keep sleeping with this person I'm not married to, obviously I have his permission because he keeps giving me good things. And Paul's trying to say, no, 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 no. Even though the Israelites were blessed, they walked, they saw miracles. God still wasn't pleased with them. Matter of fact, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, many of them. Because he was not happy with them. It goes on to say, these things happen as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan worship. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. These things happened to them as an example for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. In other words, he's saying, listen, as life progresses and as society keeps moving, you're gonna be tempted to go here, but remember what God did back there to keep yourself on the narrow path here, to stay where God wants you to be here. So he continues, he says, if you think you're standing strong, just be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. Say that today, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, notice he didn't say if, he said when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. In other words, he's not saying it's not going to be hard. He's not saying that the enemy won't use a good thing to try to distract you. He's saying that when those things do happen, when you are tempted, when you are tested, I'll give you a way out. I'll make room for you to be able to get away from those things. So in turn, what we do we have to do with sex? What do we have to do with just anything that God says, not right now? We let go of ourselves and we take hold of Jesus. The Bible constantly tells us in the New Testament, die to yourself, not a physical death, but a killing of your personal desires and take hold of God's desires for you. And so we lay ourselves down to pursue godliness, not out of the law, not through condemnation, not through shame, through grace, through hope, through joy that God can bring. Why? We've said this many times in the weeks in the past, but a different way you can read it is your new life is found in surrendering this life. We say, all right, God, I'm not going after, I'm not gonna jump the gate anymore. I'm not gonna go after what I want. I'm gonna go after you and you bring me to the place where you'll give me everything I need. And when we do that, when we allow God to bring us into that space, here's what happens. That graphic I showed you earlier, what happens where there's sin, shame, secrets and salvation, God comes in and he covers up that sin with sacrifice where Jesus died at the cross to pay for everything in your life that's ever been messed up. He comes in, he washes that sin away, he gives you a clean slate. And because of that, you don't have to walk in shame anymore. You get to walk in assurance of who God is in your life, a certainty that he is here for you, that he's ready to carry you, that he's ready to hold you. And you don't have to keep secrets anymore, but you get an ultimate security that God is with you, that he's holding you, that he's carrying you, that he's not gonna let you go, that he's not gonna let you down. The Bible said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You have security and you understand that because instead of going to a place of solitude, you get to step into genuine salvation where you know that God has made you brand new and you don't have to keep living the life that you were living. You don't have to keep making the decisions. You don't have to keep going down the path. God has given you a way of escape. He has given you a way out and his name is Jesus. And all we do is we come to the foot of the cross where Jesus gave his life to pay for the sins that we could never pay for ourselves, to give us a new start that we can never gain on our own. And that happens through Jesus Christ and the gospel that says you are given a fresh start and so today we want to pray for any of you in here that just need that you're saying i need that fresh start i need a clean slate maybe yes promiscuity sex any of those things but maybe that's not your struggle today that's what we're talking about but maybe you need a clean slate of any any type so we want to we want to pray today so i'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me today and if you're in this room and you need God to step into your life, you need him to wipe the slate clean. You need a fresh start. You're ready to say, Jesus, I'm ready to give you my life and let you open whatever doors, whatever gates need to be open. I'm giving it to you. And I'm going to trust in you today. You want your sins to be forgiven. You want a clean slate. You want Jesus to take control of your life. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out, but I do want to pray for you. And so i On the count of three, I want to invite you just to raise your hands and say, that's me, Brad. I need Jesus to give me a fresh start. One, two, three. That's me, Brad. I need a fresh start. Awesome. Yes, awesome. Once you put your hand up, you can put it down. Like I said, we don't want to embarrass you. We just want to pray for you. Are there more that says, that's me, Brad? Man, I want want Jesus to give me a fresh start. Awesome. Yes. Maybe you're watching us online and you're saying, that's me. I'm ready. I'm ready to take the next steps in Jesus and I'm ready for a clean slate. Here's what we're going to do. We're gonna pray this prayer together. And this prayer doesn't make you saved. This prayer acknowledges with words what you're believing in your heart. And that's that Jesus paid the price for your sins and is giving you a fresh start. But we're gonna pray this prayer together. The whole church is gonna pray it with us. And we're gonna declare that Jesus is Lord over our life. So let's pray church. Say, Dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongs. Make me clean. Make me pure, make me whole. I believe that you died on the cross and I believe that you rose three days later. Through your life, through your death and through your resurrection, I can be saved. So I give you my life. Make me brand new in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. TC, let's give it up for all those that prayed today. Man, we celebrate with you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for listening today. To make sure you never miss a message, be sure to subscribe to our channel. It would also mean so much to us if you would leave us a review. For more information about our church or to contact us, please feel free to visit our website at transformationchurch.com. And if you want to connect with us on Instagram and Facebook, just search at Transformation Pensacola. Join us next time for another message from one of our pastors as we see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be.